Hello, hello everybody and welcome to a bonus episode of the Reading Materials podcast. My name is Corrie. And my name is Lucia. And we are two friends who get together every couple of weeks, read a book or series of books and then get together and talk about them on the show. Or it on the show. How are you? I'm very well. Nothing really to report since we recorded last week and then had another call on the weekend, so... Gone from uh, not talking much for a while to three in a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. So, nothing new, just doing a lot of running. How about you? How's the bathroom? Yes, the bathroom is good. It is mostly ripped out and I think the tiling starts tomorrow. I do have some other news, which... I'm just looking at when this uh, when this episode comes out, and I think I am now able to say this. <laughs> Go on. I am three months pregnant. Yay! Congratulations. Yay! Thank you. You have known for a while. I have, yes. Obviously couldn't say anything on the podcast. <laughs> but yes, there will be a mini, mini bureau, mini baby in the... Wait, nobody knows what my surname is. <laughs> Mini Will and Corey <laughs> in January next year. <laughs> Hopefully. Fingers crossed all goes well. Yes, fingers crossed. Excellent. Mm. Very good. How are you feeling? But it does feel like a bit of an anticlimax because we have, we've spent ages talking about it already. So um, <laughs> it feels a bit weird now being like, oh yeah, I'm allowed to talk about it in real life. <laughs> um, yeah, good. I have not been well, but... I am much better now. That, that I think that was primarily why I needed to take a month off because I just couldn't couldn't stay awake, basically. Mm. So on that bombshell, <laughs> um, what are we reading today? Well, today we are talking about a book club read uh, that was Mexican mm-hmm. Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And this book was picked by our friend... Ellie, Mm -hmm. and we had our little book club discussion with our friends over the weekend. So, yeah, there were some mixed reviews (laughs) for this one, so it'll be an interesting discussion today. Mm. What to say? Well, we can get into the book a bit later, but I can tell you a little bit about the author. Yeah. She was born in Mexico in the 1980s, but she moved to Mm. Canada in 2004 And she has a master's in science and technology studies. And I kind of want to read her thesis because her thesis is called Magna Mater, Women and Eugenic Thought in the Work of H.P. Lovecraft, which sounds fascinating because as far as I know, goodness, H.P. Lovecraft, (laughs) isn't he the guy who did all the like um, kind of horror monster like Cthulhu and stuff that a lot of board games are based on. I don't know, but Ellie definitely referenced him while we were discussing this on Saturday. Did she? I must have not caught that then. <laughs> yeah. In any case. But yeah, I don't know anything about him. Yeah, me either, to be honest. I, I've heard the name a lot, so I think maybe I've just built up mm. this image of who this person is, but <laughs> maybe I'm completely wrong. Mm. In any case, Sylvia now lives in Canada, and she is an author, obviously. She's written quite a few books, 
Mexican Gothic came out in 2020 and won the Goodreads Award for Best Horror in that year. Um, she has worked as a, uh, what's the word, editor or like publisher for various fiction magazines and books. And she serves as a publisher of Innsmouth Free Press, an imprint devoted to weird fiction, which uh, wow. makes sense based on the book that we have read. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And she's been nominated for loads of other awards and she's won awards for other books that she's published as well. That's that's about all I found out about her. Yeah, so I, I forgot to look anything up, to be honest. So I, I mean, she sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Can you just read people's theses? It kind of depends on the university, I think. But I think, well, definitely you can read the theses, for example, that you and I wrote. So your master's thesis or your bachelor yeah. thesis and my PhD thesis is available to the public because it should be, it's funded by the public. So PhDs, right. or at least my PhD was funded by like public funds. Therefore, it should be public domain. Um, you can place a so-called embargo on it for a year or two if you want to publish any of the results in scientific journals. At least that's the way it works for science degrees. Uh, um, but then after that, it should be in the public domain. So if you're ever really bored and you want to read my PhD thesis, it is online. <laughs> Very interesting. Mm. So before we start to discuss the book, we will be discussing it in full. There will be spoilers. If you haven't read the book and you would like to read it, then pause now and come back later. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so what did you think? Well, do you want to give us the blurb first? I do want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I've remembered the spoiler thing and not the blurb. <laughs> right. This is the blurb from Goodreads. Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia After receiving a frantic letter from her newlywed cousin begging for someone to save her from a mysterious doom, Noemi Taboada heads to High Place, a distant house in the Mexican countryside. She's not sure what she will find. Her cousin's husband, a handsome Englishman, is a stranger, and Noemi knows little about the region. Noemi is also an unlikely rescuer. She's a glamorous debutante, and her chic gowns and perfect red lipstick are more suited for cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing. But she's also tough and smart, with an indomitable will, and she is not afraid. Not of her cousin's new husband, who is both menacing and alluring. Not of his father, the ancient patriarch who seems to be fascinated by Noemi, and not even of the house itself, which begins to invade Noemi's dreams with visions of blood and doom. Her only ally in this inhospitable abode is the family's youngest son. Shy and gentle, he seems to want to help Noemi, but might also be hiding dark knowledge of his family's past, for there are many secrets behind the walls of High Place. The family's once colossal wealth and faded mining empire kept them from prying eyes, but as Noemi digs deeper, she unearths stories of violence and madness. And Noemi, mesmerised by the terrifying, yet seductive world of High Place, 
may soon find it impossible to ever leave this enigmatic house behind. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Mm, what did you think? I gave it three stars. Mm-hmm. I think, having thought about it now, since it, I finished it a few days ago, so I've had a few days to kind of think back, and we had the discussion with the other friends on the book club. So I think basically what happened is I had built it up in my mind, I think, a bit too much. So I went into it pretty blind. I didn't actually know what it was about, but I really liked the cover. I liked the name, the title. I knew that it had worn, that it had won Best Horror on Goodreads. So I was think, I think I was expecting something different, basically. Yeah. I thought it was going to be really, really scary. I thought it would be an actual, you know, kind of gory horror, which it was not. So I think because of that, it fell a bit short for me. And we can go into a bit more detail, of course, well, when we chat about it as the episode goes on. But yeah, just a bit of a letdown. So Mm. it wasn't bad by any means. I enjoyed a lot of aspects of it, but just a three stars from me at this point. Yeah. How about you? Yes, I um, I feel the same, I think. I, I also gave it three. I found it a little bit slow to get going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the action was going, you know, I found it, it interesting. But I think, I think one of the things that we sort of brought up at the book club was that we weren't really sure what horror actually is. And like you, I thought that mm-hmm. it was... I was expecting sort of a lot more sort of jump scares or tension or suspense. And, I mean, there was a mystery, but it wasn't so much... I, yeah, I didn't find it scary, I don't think. Yeah, me, yeah, me either. But having... So I did a little bit of research today, um, just because I don't know how it is for you, but I feel like I keep hearing the word gothic, you know, gothic architecture, gothic fiction, you know, you have people who are called goths and everything. So Mm -hmm. I keep hearing this word and I, I thought I knew what it meant, but I realized that I never actually looked it up for a definition. Mm -hmm. So I did that today before we were going to record just to kind of get an idea of what is this thing. So in terms of Gothic architecture, it's a specific architectural style that's been around since the 12th century until about the 18th century. Um, I won't go into much detail about that. Mm -hmm. But what I found out, what I found really fascinating, and I wish I'd maybe known this before we read the book, is that there is a genre called Gothic fiction, Mm -hmm. or maybe if not genre, then like um, kind of like when we read Ninth House, so the Dark Academia vibes. Yeah. And there is also a specific sub-genre called female gothic. So generally, gothic novels written by female authors, which Ellie would probably be a an expert on because that is mm. her field of interest, I think, and what her thesis is going to be about as well. Mm. But... From what I found, gothic fiction is basically when you have an environment of fear or like the threat of supernatural events, 
And the specific theme is that the present is being haunted by something from the past. And it's usually takes place in like a remote location. You have, you know, the crypts, you have the kind of haunted house. It's very claustrophobic. And specifically when it comes to female Gothic, it's supposed to be present basically a more radical critique of male power, of violence perpetrated by men against women, and also like the predatory sexuality that sometimes comes from male characters in these kinds of books. And if it does include supernatural elements, which this book does, the that's not supposed to be the primary thing that, that is supposed to cause fear in the reader, but the terror is supposed to come from like societal terror or like societal horror of atrocities against women like rape or incest or the fact that they feel threatened by a male antagonist in the book. So knowing this now, it makes complete sense <laughs> what this book was yes, about. It does. <laughs> so that was a bit of a monologue. Sorry about that. Yeah, I found it really fascinating. So all of this, it, it's basically the book summed up in like a Wikipedia yeah, article. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's really interesting because I, you know, I think... I've never particularly done loads of reading around the books that I'm about to read before I read them. It's just not something I've ever done. But I have done a lot more reading on recommendation in the past. And I think now that we are very definitely expanding, certainly my, uh, the genres that I explore and the books that I wouldn't normally pick up like I'll be really honest with you I would not have picked this book up if I hadn't if we hadn't been doing it for the book club mm -hmm. and I think having that understanding probably might have made me enjoy it more whereas mm. I think I was sort of expecting just from the blurb and from the cover which is a really stylized it's obviously a debutante with a dark green background with a fancy wallpaper which I think is supposed to come from the you know the house mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be a lot more damsel in distress than it was probably mm -hmm. um which did affect my preconceptions of it before we even opened the book you know mm -hmm. so I think maybe doing something like looking at what you've just read is something I might start thinking about in the future because I am finding myself like really conflicted and feeling a little uncomfortable sometimes as well like the next book that we are reading is an Emily Henry one it's the it's the most recent one book lovers I think it's called yep and yep. I'm really looking forward to because I've read one of her books before and I'm like yeah this is comfortable I know what I'm like I know what to expect from it <laughs> um <laughs> And I think I think the whole putting myself out of my comfort zone means that maybe, like, I'm coming at it from a place of ignorance and therefore there is so much to be taken from it because not only is it a new story and a new author and a new, you know, style of writing, it's also a completely different genre to what I'm expecting. And the, the sort of main focus is very different to anything I've ever 
sort of read before. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it does. Yeah. And uh, you raise a good point. And I think it's a bit of a maybe a double-edged sword, if that's the correct term to use. Because on one hand, I think it's really great that we're reading, you know, so many different kinds of books by so many different kinds of authors. But you're absolutely right. On the other hand, we're going into it not really knowing what we're what to expect because like you just you just mentioned Emily Henry. We've read a book by her before. I read other books by her as well, not just the one that we read for the podcast. So I know what to expect. Mm. The same if, you know, the next time if we read another Sarah J Maas book, you know kind of what to expect by now because you've read other things by her before. Mm. But with all these new authors, it's really kind of luck of the draw if you're going to like it. You know, their their writing style is always different. So I think it's been a really interesting journey and I look forward to it continuing. But I agree with you. Like the next season, I think, is going to be a bit of a <laughs> an interesting one because yeah. I don't know any of the authors. All of them are new to me. I haven't heard of any of the books that we've picked, to be honest. Yeah. They've just kind of been random <laughs> decisions. So it'll be interesting to see what we think of them. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think, what was I going to say? No, I've forgotten. Oh my God. Sorry, you carry on. That's fine. (laughs) I will just say, in terms of uh, gothic novels, now that I know what they are, I realized that I have read some gothic novels before. So Ellie, for Mm. example, she kept mentioning Jane Eyre when we were talking Mm. about it on book club. And that is a perfect example. So is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, for example. Um, Dracula, some people argue, is also gothic. Mm. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, these kinds of stories from like the 1800s, early 1900s. They're all Mm. kind of lumped together within this category, I suppose. Yeah. Have you read any of those? Yes, I have. I've not read Jane Eyre, but I have read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and uh, Wuthering Heights. Would you put that in the same genre? I think I definitely would. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't read it. No, I haven't read it, but um, it was mentioned in the Wikipedia article as being one of this female gothic fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, The Turn of the Screws, another one which I, which I sort of studied. So yeah, I think, I think how, like you, knowing what it is, I understand it a lot better. Mm. I've remembered the point that I was going to make that I'd forgotten, which is that I think we are both becoming more critical readers. I mean that in terms of, you know, when we first started the podcast we were we were very much like either I like this book or I don't like it and these these are the reasons why whereas we're much better able to come up with a with a more balanced discussion of the book than we were (laughs) yeah so yeah anyway back to the actual book yes enough ruminating (laughs) (laughs) yes let's get into the story so Basically, what we have is our main character, her name is Noemi. 
She's in her early 20s. I think this takes place in the 1950s in Mexico. You already said she's Mm -hmm. a debutante and she lives in Mexico City. And she has aspirations to study anthropology at university. And her older cousin, who recently got married to this English nobleman, um, is writing these frantic letters saying that there's spooky things happening in the house, that somebody wants to kill her, that she's seeing things. And so Noemi goes to her cousin to try and see what's going on, is mm. the basic premise. How did you like that as a as a starting point, I guess? Yeah, I found it quite intriguing. I think... I think I said I found the book started off a little bit slowly. Basically, you start out and Naomi's at a party with one of her, you know, the boy of the month. And um, <laughs> and then she gets called called home and her father tells her all of this. And um, I found it quite an engaging introduction to the story. The only thing that I didn't like was that it immediately jumped into talking about how she she needed a psychiatrist and how Noemi was going to go there and bring her back so that she could be, you know, so that she could talk to a psychiatrist sort of thing. I don't know if that mm-hmm. was deliberately sort of pointing out the... Maybe that was part of the horror, you know, section, which is that's just how hysterical women were treated in the day. Um, yep. And so it obviously struck a nerve with me. But apart from that little detail, I thought that it was a really engaging introduction to the book. Yeah, I liked it as well. Um, I thought the first chapter... I didn't really know where it was going, as you say, with the opening scene and she's called home. It was a little bit confusing. What does this have to do with the main story? And I think you're absolutely right. I think on some level this was probably a commentary about, you know, 1950s general kind of view of women in society, Mm. which is brought up again and again in this book, you know, expectations on women. The fact that she wants to study at university isn't really usual. Everyone wants her to get married, to have children, you know, the usual stuff. But yeah, I liked the premise. I liked it immediately. It builds the mystery, basically, Mm. which I thought was pretty good. And I liked how that mystery was then maintained for quite a while because you, she gets to the house. It's in the middle of nowhere in somewhere in Mexico. And it's this old house. It's decaying. It's falling apart. The family who lives there, they're, it's a British family. They say they don't speak Spanish. They don't, you know, they only want to speak in English with her. And there's all these rules about what's allowed and what's not allowed. She's not allowed to smoke in her room. There's no conversations during dinner. Um, it's all very oppressive and claustrophobic, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I, I, I think once she'd actually got to the house, there was maybe a little bit too much trying to build suspense, which mm-hmm. which just fell flat because it felt like a fair amount of repetition. She basically got stuck in a cycle of 
seeing things and dreaming things and having she wasn't sure if they were hallucinations or not and the reason it's sort of relevant is because she starts to experience all of the things that her cousin was describing yeah in her letters and yeah. so she's obviously going oh well clearly there's something wrong but mm-hmm. but isn't sure what it is but it did that bit did just drag on a little bit too much for my taste i see what you're saying i don't think i had an issue with it because once we get the revelation of what's going on, it's so batshit crazy that I kind of yeah. pre- preferred when it was still, you know, in quotation marks, normal. So she finds out mm. from uh, some woman in the village who makes natural remedies that there was someone in the family who killed half the family and then committed suicide um, so it kind of feels like, okay, is there like a ghost haunting the house? Because she's having these mm. weird visions of like a woman in her room. She starts to sleepwalk, which she used to do when she was little, but she hasn't done for many years. And Virgil, who is her cousin's husband, seems to be this, you know, creepy presence in her dreams as well. So it's all looking like maybe it's the ghost of the woman who's haunting the house Mm. or something like that. Um, We get introduced to Francis. So that's the cousin who is the only kind of friendly person in the family, I guess. And he's obsessed with Mm. mushrooms. And knowing what we know by the end of the book, this was a clear, (laughs) you know clue as to what the yeah. ending was going to be perhaps yeah so do you want to tell the the listeners <laughs> <laughs> what was going on yeah i think i think your description of it as batshit crazy is is yeah it yeah it just it it took a real turn into just what the heck yes <laughs> But it makes more sense now, knowing that she did a science and something degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was quite a, quite a, like, it, it was, I mean, I guess the whole thing is that essentially what's happening is that the house is controlling, it. like, the memories live in the house because oh, this woman, many, I, th- I think it was, you know, 300 years ago or something, or maybe it's not quite that long, but anyway, she was sacrificed and she became the the mother of the house and retains people's memories and all of that stuff in it. And so it creates this vast network that is all interconnected and that is how fungi work. So I think there's, there's some quite interesting science behind it. Just the way that it's applied is suddenly like, well, okay, now hang on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because basically what's happening is the head of the family, the patriarch, his name is Howard. We find out all sorts of weird things about him. The fact that he married, he's been married twice. He married two sisters who were his cousins. No, they were his sisters as well, I think. So you've got the incest. I think they were his sisters. Yeah, yeah. And then you find out that he's actually been alive for like hundreds of years because they found this magical mushroom 
somewhere and they've been eating it for hundreds of years because this mushroom gives them the ability to live for much longer and also to kind of transfer their essence from one person to another. So in the book, he's dying, basically, and wants to transfer his essence to Virgil, who is his son. And then they hope that Virgil will impregnate either Catalina or Noemi. Um, it, it was just, yeah, just crazy. Yeah, that whole thing was just bizarre. And, and that's where the eugenics comes in as well, because I think the thing that makes Francis special is that he, everybody else was born of incest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, what's the old, what's the old bloke's name? Howard. Howard? Was it Howard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he he's he's obsessed with eugenics, and he keeps on trying to draw Noemi into um, this concept of well, for people who don't know what eugenics is, it's basically just uh, essentially what Hitler was doing. It's racial improvement or planned breeding to try breed in the traits into the humans, like you would if you were sort of you know selectively breeding animals, but mm-hmm. but obviously much darker to the point where they these people are all marrying their family and then Francis is the first one who was born out of trying uh his mother marries a Spanish girl or a Mexican and then that's why Virgil marries Catalina because they start to think okay maybe maybe we do need to marry outside but only to people who we think have the right traits that could enhance what we're looking for. I th- I think that it was just. I mean, if if you're looking for horror, mm-hmm. that that bit I did find like really disgusting. You know, like really, it just goes so against the grain, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was horror in that in that sense. Like it was horror because it was horrific. I didn't. You know, there wasn't anything overtly scary, scary. let's say, mm. like you would expect in a horror movie. But mm. the the mechanics of what they were doing were horrific because it wasn't just that they were marrying within their own family. They were also cannibals. So yeah. once someone died, oh. they would, you know, cut them up and eat them so that they would, I don't know retain the essence or something um so yeah i mean there were rituals yeah just crazy Uh, yeah crazy (laughs) and unexpected because that's really not what i was expecting from this book i i thought it would have a a natural resolution, which I which I think is what Noemi was also thinking. Like there must be some um natural explanation for what's going on here. She thought it might be that mm. there's, you know, that there's mold growing in the whole house, so maybe they're breathing in some kind of toxins that's causing everyone to hallucinate or something like that. Um mm. but no, it was it was magic magic fungus that was <laughs> controlling everything and everyone yeah yeah did you did you pick up the um the snake was called an ouroboros 
Yes, yes, I did because we had, <laughs> we, yeah, we had just finished the first fifteen lives of Harry August, which also had the concept yeah. of the Uraboros in it. Yes, so I when it was brought up over mm-hmm. and over and over again, I was like, oh god, enough <laughs> with the snake already. <laughs> I know I was thinking how what are the chances that I've never heard of this and then back to back books have got it in it (laughs) yeah um I'd heard of it before like I knew what it was you know the the snake that eats itself so you have like the never-ending cycle yeah um and I suppose it works really well in both books for different reasons you know the metaphor because in the first 15 lives of Harry August they keep going back to the beginning they you know they relive their lives and in this yeah. one, I suppose, it's the fact that Howard keeps going from one generation to the next, just into a different body. So it's like a never-ending yeah. cycle of torment and awfulness. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of uh, the way that the children reacted to Howard, like Virgil and Francis? Can you be a bit more specific? So, So at the end, it turns out that... Virgil is actually trying to get rid of Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's obviously finding a way to rebel against his father. And then Francis is obviously clearly also trying to rebel. So I guess, like, where do you think that's come from? So in terms of Francis, I think it just... I think it comes from what you said during the book club that I hadn't quite picked up on. The fact that he, his father is not from the family, so he's the kind of external element. You said that this means that possibly the this magic fungus or whatever you want to call it has a, doesn't have such a strong grasp on him. It can't control him as much, which is why he's able to rebel and leave the house and essentially run away at the end. Now, in terms of Virgil, I don't quite know what I think about him because I read it as... I didn't read it as him wanting to get rid of Howard and to end this cycle. I just thought he wanted control... I think I thought he wanted control of everyone. Himself. So yeah, I think well, I think he wanted to get rid of Howard so that he could take the place of Howard. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I saw him as the villain. I guess is that how you saw him? Yeah, definitely. I think I think the rebellion from him comes from he doesn't like the way that Howard was doing things. I feel like. I can't remember it now, but I feel like there was maybe some bigger plan to him being the one who was in charge where he would reinstate their former glory. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he wanted uh, he wanted to reopen the mines. So he wanted um, money from either Catalina or from Noemi so that they could hire, um, you know, workers to come work in the mines again. I saw him as I saw him as the ultimate villain in this one actually. Mm. Much more so than Howard. Yeah, Howard was kind of non-threatening because he was just sort of in bed and sick and he was a bit gross, but <laughs> mm. Yeah, cuz it felt to me like Howard was completely under the control of this 
entity, whatever it is. Whereas I think what makes Virgil more threatening or more scary is the fact that he's just going along with it. And the same with his uh, his cousin Florence. Like, mm-hmm. they just accept this and don't question it and perpetuate it. And I find that more horrific yeah. in a way. Yeah, definitely. I think the way that... Um the way that Florence especially treats Catalina is horrendous. I guess it's the ultimate gaslighting. Mm, So, so, you know, she thinks she's going crazy because she kind of is like she's being the, the house is sort of infecting her and she is having these hallucinations and everything. But, but as it turns out, that is part of the magic and, and they're just saying to her, no, you're just, you've had pneumonia. You're having a fever. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the whole point in no Amy going there is that she's been asked to go there, essentially, because because I think Francis did want... Uh, sorry, Virgil did want her to go because they also wanted the money from no Amy's dad. Yeah. Because her dad is really rich, or am I making that up? No, no, you're right. That is, that's true. Um, yeah, so so they ask Noemi to go and then she goes. And then they won't let her see Catalina. And when they do, she has to be supervised uh, mm-hmm. uh, after a while. And then and then they start saying to Noemi, well, you don't even see your cousin. Why have you really bothered to come here? <laughs> and she's like, well, that's because you won't let me see her. Yeah. <laughs> I think I found Florence really upsetting. Yes. Yeah, no, she was she was horrible. Um, mm. So the other thing that I thought they wanted to achieve was to bring Noemi and marry her off to Francis um, so that they would have two sources mm. of potential children coming in. So when we were talking about this in the book club, was it you who asked how we felt about the fact that this was a British family? I think it might have been Ellie. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. So how do we feel about the fact that it was the British? Well, I think my stance on it is that the col- the British colonialists are always seen as the baddies because they did just come in and take over everything. <laughs> And assume that the the world was theirs to just collect. And so I think the fact that they were British sort of it uses that stereotype to build build into the story without having to set up this whole culture of of the baddie, as it were. Mm-hmm. I think it made a lot of the things that they were doing sort of more acceptable from an accepted behaviour point of view because, you know, they the British are quite well known for not integrating into societies. You know, they sort of go places and then they set up their own things. So just as as an example that I have experienced, I went to Sao Paulo some years ago and all of the... I was there for the... Scottish society and it was all the Scottish people in Sao Paulo they didn't really you know they just lived within their own communities and that's exactly what happens here is that 
they've come to Mexico for the silver, but they don't want to integrate with the village or anything. Um, and by making them British colonialists, for most people who are involved in modern culture, that's quite an easy concept to grasp onto without too much information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What would you say about it? I agree with everything that you've said. Um, I think it works really well for that. For me, I think it works really well for two reasons. One, what you've already said, the fact that it's it's an easy way to explain why they just live in their old house and they don't really want to have anything to do with the village except to exploit the villagers when they want them to work in their mines. And it also works really well, knowing what I know now about the Gothic um, genre. You know, a lot of Gothic novels, the most famous ones, I think, are uh, were written by British authors. So I think, you know, it's... uh, it's a nice way to kind of bring that in to into this book. And it is really alien, I suppose, as a culture, like Mexican culture and British culture are really different. So mm. I think it works well on that level as well. And it does help you visualize the house as well, because it is yeah. very easy to imagine, yeah. you know, big old British house. Yeah, and... Okay, I'm I'm not British and I don't want to sound like I'm just <laughs> laying on British people right now, but there is also this concept of, you know, trying to maintain their standing in society. So the fact that when they came over to Mexico, they were, you know, the lords of the manor and they were really rich and okay, over the years this has kind of decayed and they've lost a lot of money. But they want to reclaim that prestige. And I think you see this quite often in media, real life. I suppose. In real life as well. <laughs> in yeah, real yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in I pop culture for sure. Yeah. There is very definitely a an upper class, lower class mindset mm-hmm. to... I mean, all you have to do is look at the people who run the country who all come from the same... Uh, subsection of people Mm. and you know you know it may not be all of the general population but when you look at the people who who did go out and colonize it did tend to be from that strata so i think we've talked about the beginning we've talked about the middle um i found virgil really off-putting uh Mm. he was a creepy and a predator and how do you feel about the visions that Noemi was having do you think they were visions like dreams or was it actually happening and she just didn't realize that it was happening because she was I can't decide I feel like because he references what he was doing doesn't he but then because of the whole interconnectivity of the house maybe he Maybe he was manifesting the visions, but maybe he was doing those things, and she thought that she was just in a in a in a dream. Mm. I don't know. I found it really disturbing. It was really it was really like 
it really does speak to that fear of, you know, what what does my dream self do mm. in terms of I find him utterly repulsive during the day, but then when I have these dreams about him, I'm really turned on. And, mm. you know, especially for she's, you know, a, a debutante in the 50s, she's not had a lot of physical intimate experience. And so mm-hmm. it makes those visions even more disturbing because... Although from maybe a modern point of view, nothing particularly raunchy is going on. Mm-hmm. From her point of view, you really get you really get the horror that she is feeling at having or even just seeing a naked man. You know. Mm. Yeah. But I don't. But I can't decide if I can't decide. I feel like maybe a combination of the two. Yeah, I think so as well. I think some dreams were dreams. Like, I think when mm. she's seeing Ruth, for example, or the, I think, is it Agnes who is also appearing to her as this old woman with the gold eyes or something? Mm. I think those are dreams brought up, brought on by this magic fungus. Um, mm. <laughs> in terms of when she's actually sleepwalking, I'm concerned that those might be elements of reality. So mm. when she sleepwalks and she finds herself in Virgil's bedroom after having just been in the bath, mm-hmm. I have a feeling something happened there in, in reality. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, yeah. Yeah, it was very disturbing. Mm. So what did you think of Noemi as the main character do you know i can't say i particularly liked her but she was she was really sort of the embodiment of the modern strong independent woman i don't need no man you know Mm -hmm. she she wanted to go to university or she had been to several universities doing several different things and she kept changing her mind over what she wanted to do and she smokes like a chimney because she wants (laughs) to and she keeps on she sort of dates a guy until she feels like it's getting too serious which, mm-hmm. of course, in those days, or in the, the way it's written, is if you give him a kiss on the cheek, then, oh my god, you're going to get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I think I quite liked... I quite liked the attitude of her character, but I don't know that I particularly liked her very much. Until she started softening to Francis, I felt... I guess I felt she was quite shallow... Mm-hmm. until she started realising that Frances, who's somebody she would never have looked at twice, was actually somebody that she did want to get to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I quite liked her from the beginning. Mm. I liked her sense of humour. I liked that she, you know, knew what she wanted, to an extent, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that she was independent. I I liked that she cared for her cousin enough to to go to this house, even though she didn't really want to. So there were many things that I did like about her. I feel like she could have done more uh, to fight back against the family. Yeah. I wish that she had done a bit more. I thought that she would have maybe rebelled more. Yeah. Against, you know, like the no talking at dinner kind of rule. <laughs> I like that she sought second opinions, that she went to the 
the local doctor in the village because mm. she didn't trust the family doctor and as well that she didn't because he was totally working with the whole family knew what he was, was going related on related to them wasn't he yeah he was related to them in some way as well mm. so he was definitely just perpetuating whatever was going on um keeping Catalina sedated drugging Noemi as well without her knowledge by putting stuff in her food so yeah i like that she had this kind of agency um mm. i wish that she had figured out earlier that perhaps the answer to all of her problems would have been to just burn down the house <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you made the point on Saturday and I thought it was an extremely good one. <laughs> yeah, because they just kept talking about her smoking a bit too much, you know. Mm. It felt to me like this was a clear message of there must be a reason why they're so against the smoking. Um, so, yeah. How did you like that? I suppose that's the ending then, you know. <sighs> To be very honest with you, I felt like the ending was a little bit of a cop-out. I think... I can't remember who it was. It might have been Ellie, or it might have been you. Forgive me if it was. Um, who said that it, it would almost have been better if it hadn't had a resolution. Because basically what happens is that they're running through the crypts, and then they suddenly get to the place where the mother of all the fungus is. And... Virgil brings a lamp down because he's chasing them, a gas lamp, and out of nowhere, Noemi decides, or somebody decides, to throw the gas lamp at the mother of the fungus, mm -hmm. and then the whole place burns down. And you're right, like, a number of times, I think Francis even said at some point the house needed to be burnt down, and every time Noemi smoked in the house, there was there was trouble... I felt a little bit like she got to the end and she wasn't entirely sure how to how to finish it, maybe. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe it would have been quite interesting if they had left, if they'd managed to get Francis out of the house and then they'd all taken the magic potion that reduced the fungus's influence, but they didn't burn the house down because... The, the kind of impact would be the same because we don't know if the fungus is still around or not. Mm. But you wouldn't have had that kind of a trope of, oh, well, then everything got burnt down and it was fine. I suppose at least in this way, you kind of hope that everything... Did you get anything different? Um, So I found the ending a little bit rushed. Um, especially, you know, the dash through the house and then Virgil's showing up everywhere and then they find the secret tunnel that leads to the crypts and then again Virgil kind of just pops out out of nowhere. I I think I like the ending. I think it made sense because I, I can't think of any other way that it could have been resolved, you know? Like mm. there isn't... It's It's a fungus, like it grows everywhere. So the only thing I can really think of is to just burn it all down. But mm. I don't know if they actually succeeded. And I suppose we'll never know because I don't think she'll write a sequel. And I hope she doesn't. And if she does, I'm not going to read it. But <laughs> yeah, it just kind of nicely ties up all the loose ends of we just don't have to mm. worry about it anymore. I was a little bit confused as to why 
Francis was able to escape with them, but then I think you said that he was taking that potion as well. So, yeah. and the fact that his blood was mixed from uh, a family from the outside. Somebody outside. Yeah, yeah, meant that he wasn't really under such tight control as everybody else. Yeah. Because he was also the only one who was leaving the house regularly because he would go down to the village. Like, he took Noemi mm -hmm. to the village a few times in his car, whereas nobody else left the house. Mm, except the servant, right? Maybe. Yeah. Because they kept saying that the servants could drive her down to the village. Yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And we find out that yeah. they're under some kind of mind control, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did you feel about the fact that Francis and Noemi had developed feelings? I liked it. Um, yeah? Yeah. I thought it was kind of sweet. Mm. I think out of all of them, Francis was the only one who actually felt any kind of guilt or remorse over what was going on in the house. Now, whether or not he could have done something about it himself, I don't know. Maybe he could have. He could have burned down the house, uh, as he said that they should do. But yeah, I, I thought it was nice. How about you? Did you did you like it? Yeah, I did as well. I, like I say, I felt like she was a bit shallow until she started realizing that she could, you know, find something in somebody who wasn't <laughs> her normal, mm. I guess, you know, high society male. Yeah, and a and a and a bloke who was slightly sheltered and obsessed with mushrooms and <laughs> just completely different. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose maybe that's also a commentary on how differently people behave when they're in a different environment. So, you know, she doesn't have to put on any persona for the for the family because she didn't know them. Like. She could just be herself, whereas maybe when she's in Mexico City and she goes to a a party, there's certain expectations on how she's supposed to behave. And I think she's a bit like that maybe when she first arrives at the house. But then as she gets to know Francis, you know, she becomes a bit more warm, a bit more mm. herself. Yeah, good point. Do you have anything else you would like to say about this book? No. I think we covered it all. Mm -hmm. You? Yep. Yeah. Same. I'm not sure I'll be sprinting out to buy any of her other books, but mm. I'm glad I read it. Yeah. yeah. I think it was... Now that I know what it was supposed to be, I like it more than when I was reading it. And yeah. I can fully see why Ellie chose it. It's It really is her kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Lovely. Okay, so you've hinted at it already, but do you want to tell us what we will be discussing in the next episode? Yes, the next episode, which will be the first episode of season four... We will be reading Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited. <laughs> I am excited as well. I, I haven't started it yet, but now that we've recorded this, I will. And I'm looking forward to having something that should be relatively gentle yes. to sink my teeth into. Mm -hmm. Me too. I think I'm going to start it 
either today or tomorrow. I don't think I have anything further to add. Me either. This wraps up season three completely. Mm-hmm. And we will talk more about our slight changes for season four mm-hmm. next week, I guess. Yes, <laughs> we will. Looking yes. forward to it. <laughs> Me too. I'll talk to you then. Cool. Alrighty, yeah. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading.